Welcome to the Perimenopause Power Podcast. We are Lisa and Natalie, two certified holistic health coaches passionate about helping women embrace their physiology to elevate their highest potential for confidence, health and energy. Perimenopause will be unique to you and each episode gives you the power in knowing that you can define your own journey. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Perimenopause Power, where we have an insightful conversation with Renee Barnes about matrescence and menopause and how women's life transitions can show up in the workplace and also how they can be supported. Renee has almost 20 years of HR experience across the private and public sector. She's a mum of two and founded her business, The People Paradox, in 2018, where she works with predominantly small to medium-sized organisations to build their people strategy, foundations and programs that enable sustainable growth, engagement and performance. She founded her business because at the time she needed more flexibility in how she could turn up for work while still achieving her career ambitions and is intimately in tune with the challenges and barriers that can be experienced during the motherhood transition. Renee is with us today because she is designing a matrescence program that will educate and empower mothers and employers to navigate the complexities of matrescence and returning to work with confidence. We know that you will absolutely love the conversation we have with Renee as we explore matrescence and also explore the similarities between matrescence and menopause and the experiences that women have across both of these pivotal life phases. Well, hello, Renee. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast, Perimenopause Power. Thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you. And of course, we have Lisa here as well. Hello, Lise. Hello, Nat. How are we? Really, really good. You know, this is always the favourite part of our week. Yep. Yep. Love it. Love it. All good. So, Renee, I'd love to jump straight into having a a wonderful conversation with you, no doubt. And I want to bring our listeners' attention to your website, where on your website, you have in big, bold letters, where people and business meet. And I thought by way of introduction to our conversation, we'd love for you to share with us, where does your passion come from in supporting this goal and the work that you do? Yeah, thank you. I've been working in people and culture for almost 20 years after studying social science at university. So my business lens has always been underpinned by, I guess, sociological principles such as truth-telling, understanding societal and organisational constructs and how they influence human behaviour, such as in the workplace. In my business, The People Paradox, I offer people and culture services, primarily to small to medium-sized businesses uh, that need to build their people foundations through structural design, organisational culture, policies, procedures, and then enhance their performance and engagement and productivity through dedicated people programs. So that phrase that you've read, where people in business meet, aims to recognise that natural tension that exists between individual employees and the organisational systems that they work within at a time when employers are expected to enable their employees well beyond workplace boundaries, yet in alignment with with business objectives. And that's a really sort of complex terrain to to navigate. I'm also designing a program to educate and support women, parents and employers on what takes place during the transition into motherhood, which we know as matrescence, Mm -hmm. in order to combat the, the increasing rates of poor postnatal mental health and subsequent barriers that occur for women when returning to work, such as 
in equity and career progression, confidence and, and participation. Mm, so good. And I have shared a few times in a few episodes about my own experience of motherhood and coming into or back into the workplace after having my daughter and, and just the struggle. And that word matrescence is the word that I now know of it now. But back then I had no we didn't idea. Know tech, did we? No, we no. didn't. And we are going to talk a little bit about that as we go through in our conversation. But it's just, it highlights again, another very pivotal phase of life that us women go through if we've chosen to have children in particular, but then also, you know, how that then feeds into other phases of life, such as menopause. Mm. And I often get asked the question, why am I talking about menopause? But for me, it was really around that understanding around women and our biology. And I thought, you know, I lost myself so much after I had my daughter. To think that mm. I might go through it again in 10, 15 years just blew my mind. And I thought, no, we have to change this. Mm. We have to change that thinking, not just in society, but in workplaces as well. Um, and love that you are bringing the conversation around matrescence and, and women and in the workplace. You know, it's, it's uh, fabulous. It is fabulous. And I'm just thinking, just following on from what you were saying, that is you know, when I went back to work after having my kids, um, I felt a real um, um, disalignment. I don't know if that's a, it's a word, but yeah, misalignment. Thank you. Um, but, you know, around what I had originally thought or who I was before I had children, when I've had them, came back. Mm. And that had really changed. And the culture of where I was just didn't meet anymore. And it was astounding, actually, just how much of a shift it was within me around being a mum, still wanting to have a career, but, you know, trying to work out how that all, all, all fits. So it's very interesting. So humanising workplaces is becoming a big topic for employees and businesses alike. What role does life transformations play in businesses humanising workplaces, such life faces being matrescence and menopause? So in truth, I know very little about menopause. And I think, Nat, when you just said that you went through matrescence and then you had to go through or you're thinking about what you might have to go through at menopause being similar, I mean, that just sends shivers down my spine. To think that I have to do this all again is is horrifying. I'd prefer not to think about it. But I'd also like to learn more about menopause. So thank you for the work that you do. Um, I can reflect on humanistic workplaces from a matrescence perspective. And I think we'll just start with the science, um, the scientific study of matrescence is, is still fairly unknown in the mainstream as the original studies were conducted in, in the 1970s and then they really laid dormant until around 2008. However, we are now seeing this rapid momentum in our understanding of matrescence. And with that interest, we're building more investment as well. So I'm very excited to see mm. what the study reveals. And um, as you reflected on or, or you alluded to earlier, Lisa, it's really about finding language that we can use to make these experiences normal. So for any listeners who are unfamiliar with matrescence, it describes the transformation a woman experiences when she becomes a mother and it occurs with every subsequent pregnancy and birth. And it encapsulates hormones, um, physical changes, social changes, psychological, neurological, neurobiological, and for some people even spiritual changes. It is literally shedding the old identity and stepping into a new one whether you wanted to or not. And I think that's a really important thing to be aware of. Can I it's, just say, Renee, that I reckon there's so many listeners right now nodding their heads 
Yeah. And I think a lot of them probably have never heard it explained that way. So thank you for bringing oh, that to our attention. No, that's, a, that's a pleasure. Um, you know, it's an interesting one. If I put on my social science hat, you know, expecting a transition from woman to mother, it seems fairly obvious. Women have been having babies forever. And so there's this dismissive notion or tone that comes with describing matrescence where people sort of say, well, of course, we've always done that. The issue is in the magnitude of the change and how negatively a woman can be impacted on a personal level, a career level, at home, in her relationships, financially and in society more broadly. As a society, we're doing very little to prepare mothers for the magnitude of that transformation, which extends well belong those, those new logistical demands that we all know about. Um, an example is a, a birthing parent's brain is completely reorganised during pregnancy in the first 12 weeks mm. due to the introduction of 200 new hormones. These changes alone are substantial. However, you layer them with societal, cultural conditioning, all the other changes that I've just mentioned. And this is where we get those emotional responses of, of guilt, shame, resentment, worry, you know, we were told a story about what motherhood was going to be like and then that didn't happen. So then what is wrong with, with me? Where is my failure in this moment? And we start to, to cast judgment on ourselves. Um, and so for me, this is where I think our whole sense of self becomes turned upside down and it was unexpected and then it becomes really, really scary we then expect these these women to self-advocate during the return to work process and step back into the workplace with confidence and with unchanged aspirations, which is incredibly unrealistic. And Lisa, that's what you were referring to. You came back in and you didn't want the same things. So for me, creating a humanistic workplace is all about enabling work-life integration. It's about educating employers and employees on matrescence so that more enabling conversations and specifically people programs can be established. Is it similar for menopause? I think menopause is just, yeah, it's another realisation that what has been the norm is now changed. But I think for a lot of women, they don't recognise what the change is or that it is perimenopause or menopause be whatever it is. And a lot of them don't know how to navigate or moving forward because things you've done previously don't necessarily work for you as far as, you know, your lifestyle elements at this time of, you know, this physiological um, time of life. And it's the tweaking that comes into it. And I think just hearing you talk about what you did too, patriarchy still feeds very much into that whole time, you know, when a when a woman becomes, um, you know, becomes a mother. And even though we're living in a much more modern world, it's still feeding through from, you know, decades, pre, you know, prior to us even being on the earth. It's really interesting. It's I, <laughs> I'm reading to my son, my five year old, the wishing chair. It applies to, you know, the wishing chair, oh. and everybody knows it remembers it from when they were young and now reading it through new eyes I'm horrified by the um, gender associations and expectations and stories about the nurturing beautiful mummy who's at home you know doing the domestic work and, and it's in moments like that that you reflect on how you came into this position and it's not by anybody's fault. We have to understand that these things happen in society. This is this is how life works. This is how history feeds into new generations. But 
I find myself changing the names in the story. He, she, I keep switching things around because I want, <laughs> I want my son to experience the beautiful oh, I imagination, but yeah. I can't do it as a parent. I can't continue to share that same story in that way. Yeah, true. We actually, just before jumping on to record this episode, we were just hosting our monthly networking event called Thrive Together that we host here in uh, Melbourne. And we had one of the guest speakers was talking all about unconscious bias Mm -hmm. and how in society we all have that unconscious bias or we all have biases. And one thing that came up, and perhaps our overseas listeners won't um, recognise this, but do you remember Life Be In It in the 80s? Yes. Where you had Norm who, you know, was overweight, lazy and had to get himself moving again. And it was the woman, his wife, who was portrayed as the one to help him do it. The change maker. The change maker and the one that was there to, you know, get him him moving, to eat better meals and, and basically do all the domestic chores. And it's amazing how that very simple cartoon, yes, it created change in terms of movement, but then the biases that come behind it, mm. you know, still today. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what other change did it create I, that we're just not aware of or that we we, we don't actually talk about? Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I sometimes think we can't necessarily change those biases. They, they are what we are. We've been conditioned in that way. But simply by bringing them into the conscious, mm. you have an opportunity to make a decision what you're going to do with that initial judgment or assumption. And I think that's powerful. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to know what opportunity do you see for women through embracing such learning? I mean, for us, a core piece of our work is trying to close that education gap and that that awareness piece around menopause, but also menstruation and women's um, physiology and their bodies. What opportunity do you see for women in uh, embracing such learning about matrescence and and also how this might transcend into the workplace? Yeah, I look, I think our natural state is if I can't see myself in society, then I must be different, I must be strange, I must be failing in some way. This is how I felt following the birth of my first son and this was confirmed through the many focus groups that I've now run with mothers who are desperately seeking connection and and clarity for what, what has happened to them. We all expressed the sense that we were slipping or that we were being perceived as flaky by our employers and, and less reliable, less skilled and therefore less important. So the truth is through the hormonal changes that occur in our brains, we're actually being primed for learning and subsequent growth. And this is what the, the neurologists are now telling us. So oxytocin creates that hypervigilant state in, in birthing parents so that we attend to our babies and we, we learn their needs. It also creates the need for more social bonds and connections. This is because it's so hard to be a new mum and operate with very little sleep whilst breastfeeding and, and learning those new skills. So oxytocin is our friend who is trying to establish um, new networks of support to help us survive throughout that hard time, and, and that is hardwired. There are some incredible skills that birthing parents learn during this period of growth, and instead of employers perceiving time out of the workforce as lost time and and losing touch, I think we need to talk more about the skills that are gained and how employers can actually benefit. So some mm-hmm. examples are I would like to step away from talking about women are so good at organising and 
um, house administration and efficiency and multitasking. This is a survival state that we're thrown into and that we have to deliver upon. There are also skills that are generally associated with more junior positions in the in the workforce, and I think it dismisses some um, other skills that we gain. And, and they're things like perspective on life, prioritising what's important and learning to say no, reducing perfectionism and respecting being human, that, that adaptability and agility that comes with that process, um, self-advocacy and, and asking for help, you know, championing and advocating for others and building those supportive communities, a, a really deep art of, of listening and caring. Um, global leadership is sort of up in headlights in terms of a, a, a very important leadership skill. And essentially that shifting focus from thinking about me to thinking about we, well, that's what mothers do when they're trying to prepare um, you know, the, the world for their children so that it is safe and so it is accommodating of them. That's actually the lens that many of us naturally adopt through the oxytocin and those those brain changes. And I think the other skill that I'm really conscious of now is courage. It might sound really ironic given the confidence dip that's often experienced during matrescence. However, the rebuild leads to a sense of resolve and the courage to do things differently or to challenge the status quo. This is a superpower and I think organisations can, can gain a lot from it. Mm, so, so perfect. Can I just say mm. one thing? I love that you talked about being a lifelong learner and our brain is hardwired for that because I talk about that so much and will tell anyone that listens. And, and personally, I think the greatest learning that we can have is the learning about ourselves and what you know the way that we we function and and you know how we can grow and then mm. secondly i love that you're sharing this and the skills and the lessons that come from motherhood but also not just motherhood but also life experiences and and i guess again this is that that um opportunity for women who are coming into or going through perimenopause and menopause to look back and again have that that self-efficacy and look back and say you know what i've had these challenges or similar challenges like this before and these are the skill sets that i've got and mm. how can i now tap into my life experiences and the other uh, transformations to support me through this phase and they were just some of my things I'm sure you know well you good points and I just want to add to that too I think looking at back about how they've managed it at that time and use that as a positive thing to how they're going to manage this next life change as well because we do tend to see it as negative and you know there's 35 plus symptoms of perimenopause and beyond right and they're not all great but I think the you know, being a lifelong learner, using your experiences, go back and do some more learning or educate yourselves around it. And then when the, you know, when the symptoms can are happening, we, we're more educated around accepting them and seeing them through and, okay, how do I manage this? Um, you know, how do I have a confidence to be able to move through and manage it to the best of my abilities, keep it as positive and move forward with the next, you know, however many years. And mm. I think that's really, really powerful because we do hear a lot of talk, don't we, Nat, about it being such a negative time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always saying I'm, I've just turned 53. I've done a lot of lifestyle stuff. I'm, I work with a menopause specialist as well from a medical point of view. And that's been a real game changer in relation to putting it all together 
around the education and learning that I do for my own health, which now has given me a newfound confidence um, to get, you know, just get up going and and see it positively again and what this time brings. And I and I suspect and hope that there's a lot of listeners feeling the same way. Mm. Yeah, completely agree. And I think some of that is born out of the vulnerability that we mm. go through. Um, perhaps first during matrescence, if you elect to, to have children and that's your path. Um, but I definitely, if I reflect on my 20s and very much in the patriarchal system and building my career and expecting to get to a certain level where I had achieved success, you know, that's all been torn to shreds. And um, through matrescence, I've had to throw myself to the wind in a different way and become a lot more vulnerable. But the relearning is that success is not linear. It's how you um, understand your values. It's how you live your values. And it's how you participate in the world in a way that you can feel proud. So I think that alone makes me a very different person, a very different employee and with a very different offering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all experience and knowledge, isn't it? And that's what makes us an even more employable individual, whether you're Mm. male or female. I mean, you know, for males, they go... You know, entering fatherhood, um, you know, there must be a shift, I'm sure. I know there was with my my husband. There's a shift also with them as well. We just don't talk about it enough, I think, you know, across the board. And it's not enough science. And I think that's also part of the, the problem. We need to talk about it more so that it becomes more important and relevant. When we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion strategies, mm. you know, really what we're talking about there is celebrating difference. Well, it's very hard to celebrate difference if you work in very um, constrained environments that expect very linear outcomes. Mm. So I just think it's all, it is all about a conversation and then it's about um, taking that conversation to the next level, which is actually looking at, you know, how people can feel that they can bring their whole selves to work. Yeah. Can you offer some examples of how you've worked with other businesses um, around this topic and how have those businesses introduced uh, such topics? Um, you obviously don't have to mention any names, but it'd be great if you can share some of the things that you've implemented. Yeah, the approach and programs I've implemented vary largely from organisation to organisation, and, and this is very purposeful. Um, I, I'm a social scientist from, from a background perspective. I really don't believe that it's a one-size-fits-all solution because workforce demographics Uh, the available benefits, industry norms and pressures, organisational culture, they're all nuanced and they they create um, different appetites for change. So I'm a true believer in relentless incrementalism to bring about change and taking one step towards a better outcome at a time. So I guess I'll talk about this in somewhat roundabout terms rather than a neat package Um, Some of the examples include organisational redesign and building structures and positions that are really chunked down to enable more flexible participation. Part of that is looking at the gig economy. Uh, Leadership coaching on managing return to work processes that enable more humanistic return to work conversations and outcomes. Many women identify a good manager as the primary point of difference between a good return to work and a poor one. So we know that's a really important area to focus on. Introducing menstrual, menopause, fertility, treatment, postnatal and parental leave policies is really obviously very, very important. I always assess cost-effective ways to make a difference beyond simply accessing leave, such as things like non-birthing parents having access to work from home for 12 months following the birth. 
It's a fairly minor change in these post-COVID times, yet it makes a really big difference to the mental health of parents with, um, I guess, not feeling as isolated um, and therefore not feeling as much resentment. It also provides the non-birthing parent with more visibility about what's happening in the home during that period and, and encourages more shared parenting, which in the long term is likely to enable the birthing parent to have more support and freedom and therefore participation outside of the home. Um, obviously, educating employers on their legal obligations to support pregnant employees um, and and employee, employees who are on parental leave is, is very important. A big block to employees feeling safe and protected is that they need to search for information, such as the basics like a safe job and how to establish flexibility upon returning to the workforce, whereas employers have an opportunity to front foot these conversations, provide the information upfront, provide options, and then partner with employees to reach better outcomes. This alone would reduce a lot of anxiety for these employees. I really recommend putting in place trial periods for any flexibility requests which employers feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable about. Test the arrangement, make it three months, see whether it will, will work for both parties. And in time, that will give the employer more confidence uh, to design different ways of working. Then there's parent networks um, and, and coaching return, returning parents on how to establish their boundaries prior to re-entering the return to work conversations is really important. What I'd like the opportunity to do more of is educating employers and employees on matrescence specifically and coaching leaders on how they can achieve better engagement and retention from pregnant and returning parents. I think this is an incredible opportunity for employers to offer their employees a point of difference that is humanistic at low cost and it will really lift their employment brand. Love all of that. That's just super. Imagine if, imagine if even 10%, 20% of employer, employers actually you know, did a lot of that. What, what a huge amount of change that would instill or, you know, confidence and um, the, the returning employee, what it looks like for them as far as their confidence moving back into the workforce after having a child or having to leave for whatever reason. And there's not a lot of risk, you know. There, there is a financial component to it. I understand that. But there's not a lot of risk to an employer and the costs of recruitment and finding a new person or trying to, mm. um, you know, exit a person, which is often what a lot of people who need flexibility experience, that is incredibly costly. Mm. And you're exiting somebody who knows the organisations, has established relationships, um, has established knowledge, whereas if you can just lean into the flexibility a little bit, you'll get a lot more from them in the long term. And I imagine a, long, a lot more people would stay, you know, like just that, right. you know, yeah, it's really powerful. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Out of interest, I have heard uh, a few years ago when I was doing my study that the cost of losing an employee was around the $65,000 mark and that's in Australian dollars. Do, has that changed somewhat, Renee, do you know? Yeah, it's very salary dependent. So what I generally tell employers is that if you lose an employee within their first 12 months of employment, it's a guaranteed 105% of the employee's salary. So if they're exiting within the first three months, the first six months, you know, that's a really high cost. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not really, that's not really looking at the product, productivity loss as well in terms of 
during induction, somebody else spending their time to mm. upskill that person. There, there are other hidden costs within that as well, but as a general mm. uh, measure, yeah, that's the that's the percentage I use. Mm. Yeah, yeah, such such a high Huge. high percentage, and it it does make makes you reflect and and look at and and then also come back to the human too and mm. and see well, what what can I do to support this person that. And we often talk about, and I put matrescence in the same category, absolutely, that these topics are not just good for individuals and their health and their mental health, emotional health, but it's it's good for business too. And it's good for careers. It's good for, you know, supporting ongoing business and the economy. And, um, you know, for us, we always come back to that health piece. But then that, that also plays a part, those broader business and economic and financial factors play a big part in people's health and well-being as well. So it's just it's just that that circular um, motion, isn't it, that mm. was just all feeds into each other. So it's good for everyone. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think employers sometimes uh, dismiss the broader good in society because they say, well, you know, this is my, our business and this is this is the business context we work within. But I, and that's where I think the demographics, workforce demographics piece becomes really important. One of my clients is predominantly female. They're anywhere between um, 25 to 35. What they do for women who are pregnant um, and who are having children sends a ripple effect, a, a message to the broader community and not just the people who are in that workforce but also their friends or their networks who are in the same industry who might be looking to join that organization it sends a message about how those people are respected and going to be treated so an organization like that would probably need to pay more attention to these transitions and enablement and support than perhaps a male-dominated industry Mm. you know where the um the it's predominantly say 45 year old men now, I want everybody to care about this topic, but if we're just to be a little bit realistic, it, I think it is also about speaking to the employers where this really matters first and then allowing the benefits to flow on into broader society from there. Mm, yeah, definitely. And it's also, you know, I think about as you spoke about, you know, the demographics of the workplace, there are amazing strategies to increase female attraction and representation across various mm. industries mm. and I'm not seeing these conversations come into play in within these businesses or within those industries. And we always talk about, you know, if we're really serious about that female representation and the attraction and the retention of women, these are the topics that we need to bring into the workplace um, to, you know, not, not necessarily identify differences, but but just bring it in that this is part of what we need in support and awareness and um, again with menopause we often talk that it's not just a woman's issue it's a human issue and it's you know they're vitally important if we're going to keep um, supporting women in the workplace if yeah if we're serious about women transitioning to leadership roles and obviously not all women have children but Hmm. you know women all women go through menopause then we need to recognise that there is this period of life and these transitions that impacts women that men do not experience. Mm. And it's as simple as that. And the data, the statistics, the science and the feedback tells us that it impacts on their confidence, it mm. impacts on their sense of self. So if we want women to enter you know, into leadership positions and into more board positions, we need to help them through that transition because it's not that they don't have the skills or the drive, 
it's often about access and it's often about confusion during these big transformational periods of, of their life. Mm. Yep, so beautifully said. Mm. So our podcast is all about power and finding, nurturing and using our personal power as we transition through life phases, uh, in this case for our, our podcast being perimenopause and beyond, but then also coming into your power during um, matrescence as well. We'd love to learn from you what does coming into your own power mean to you and, and how have you practised it across your life? Oh, what a question. It's incredible. Okay. Um, the perspective I have gained through becoming a mother has been absolutely profound. I, I certainly had a shift in my lens from me to we, which I referred to earlier, um, and that's very common for a lot of women. I think through experiencing incredible vulnerability during my first parental leave, I was gifted the opportunity to reset and redefine my values, which I hadn't done since my 20s. I had sort of done a, you know, set and forget in my 20s, felt really confident with it, and I didn't even know how much I had changed until a new opportunity to reassess my values was gifted to me um, by somebody I know. I had to throw my 10-year plan to the wind and find comfort in just floating on the breeze for a while. It was out of character and it was terrifying. Um but what it enabled me to do is re-establish my purpose, re-establish my ambitions and rebuild my sense of self, which I'm still working on. Um, it's been really hard, but it has led to this, oh, do I call it an inner confidence? Um, it's not a confidence in terms of an arrogance or a confidence in terms of capability. It's an inner confidence which I would describe as really powerful. I don't seek external validation and I don't expect it. I don't need it like perhaps I once did. I have a lot of clarity about who I am. I like who I am and I know what I want to achieve. And I also have the perspective now that I need to be adaptable. And if I fail, well, failure is not black and white. So relentless incrementalism, one step towards better, is a good outcome that I can feel proud of. And I think that's powerful for me. I'm sitting here giving thumbs up as you're talking because <laughs> I, I love the bit that you talk about the 10-year plan. Now, I had my kids when I had my first one at 35 and I put off having, you know, probably in my plan from when I was much younger, I would have had my kids in my mid to late 20s. But then I love the idea of having a career that got in the way and, Bloody, 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 uh, heard the first one at 35 and the second one at 39. And that really did throw me because I think the longer that you've worked and started establishing your own thing, whatever that looks like, and then you have kids, it's like, oh, shit, this looks totally different. And you find yourself really having to be adaptable, like, you know, and, you know, and, and the failure is there. And back then that really would have upset me and, and it unnerved me. But I love this thing that you talk about having a, a new inner confidence and um, not seeking external validation. And I think I've only probably found that in the last few years and I really feel like perimenopause and menopause has really brought that force for me. And there's a lot of talk out there around how that can actually you have a different level of confidence once it returns and you don't give a whole lot of Fs around some of the things that you might have 10 years ago. So, um yeah, I really love what you, you said there and just putting it back to my own situation. 
Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Look, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I think the control that we once had, the ability to choose your own adventure. You know, I went to, I was in um in a school where you reach for the horizon. Um, you can do anything very meritocratic. Um, and I have just un- had to unpick a lot of that conditioning that I was provided with over time because mm-hmm. I've, uh, yeah, really experienced life in a different way. So I think there's a lot of, it's a very scary journey. And for anyone who's listening, who's in that at the moment, um, you know, deep respect and, and a lot of care is being sent your way because it is really, really tough. And all I would say is um, try to step away from any language around what your goals are, what success is, you know, anything that is really concrete, hard outcomes, try to step away from that and, and just think more about moving from your cognitive thinking into your limbic system and into your feelings and just sit in those awkward, murky feelings for a while so that you can reestablish what your values are and then build from there. And know that that's okay. And it's all about knowing that that's okay. And as Nat says, also not not buying into that should be doing this and should be doing that. So beautifully explained. So good. I often say, yeah, getting comfortable being uncomfortable and uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. No. Beautifully answered, Renee, and a wonderful conversation. You really speak our language and uh, I'm feeling the the energy between Mm -hmm. our conversation (laughs) through the screen, I must say. So um, could you let us know where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about you? And of course, learn more about Matrescence through you. Yeah, thank you. Your listeners can connect with me for Matrescence Advice, Education and Storytelling by Instagram and I am at Matrescence, M-A-T-R underscore E-S-S-E-N-C-E, Matre Essence. <laughs> A little bit complicated, might need to work on the branding. Um, they can connect with me for everything HR via my website, which is www.peopleparadoxhr.com and also via LinkedIn. And any employers who would like to discuss return to work, supportive parental programs and matrescence, I would really welcome the opportunity to have that conversation. Thank you. And we'll pop all of those links into the show notes. And I'm sure that there will be people from everywhere wanting to connect with you. Such a wonderful conversation, Renee. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks again for sharing your time with us, learning how you can be your best energetic self, no matter what life stage you are going through. Be sure to contact us if any of this content resonates with you. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. See you next time.